Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, which you have just sang about and we have already heard and I'll be bringing up throughout the sermon. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in the Old Testament, God had forbidden the Israelites from making an image of him. The image of God would be when he took on our human flesh. But if you were to talk about God to an Israelite in their imagination, what they would see is that great cloud that led the people out of Israel and settled on Mount Sinai. And when God spoke the law from that cloud, the world shook around them. And the Israelites were afraid. And they said to Moses, we'll be destroyed if this keeps going. They got at that moment that they were sinners. So they said, you go talk to God for us. And God said, that's a good idea. Sinners need a mediator between God and them. God would be that mediator himself by taking on our human flesh. Now, that cloud comes upon the mountain when God the Father comes, and the three men that are there have the same reaction. They're terrified. Now, there's many miracles in today's text, but there's a subtle one we could miss. Jesus didn't come up to them like an annoyed parent and say, Knock it off! Stop being afraid! For Pete's sake! Jesus is the word of God, and his word has power. After the disciples heard this, they fell down upon their faces and were extremely afraid. And so Jesus approached them, and after taking hold of them, a gentle, loving touch. Arise and stop being afraid. His words would have the power to make them arise. The power to make them stop being afraid because Jesus is God. He is the Word. He is the spokesman for the Trinity. And they rose and they stopped being afraid. His Word gave them comfort in a terrifying circumstance because they were sinners. And in today's text, we see the comfort that Jesus' glory, his transfiguration gives us. So our sermon theme for today is Jesus' glory comforts and encourages us. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and the brother of John, and he led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. Then he was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as radiant as the light. Jesus has always had glory. He is true God who became true man. But he hid his glory. Even when he gives the disciples a glimpse of his glory on this mountain, he doesn't let all of it shine through because it would destroy any sin or sinner around him. Think about that. When God became true man, when he was conceived in the virgin's womb by the Holy Spirit, if he had let all the glory of his Godhood shine, Mary would have been destroyed. Mary was a sinner who rejoiced that a Savior had been born and that her Savior had been born. And if Jesus had let his glory shine through when he went to the disciples, they would have been killed. They would have never crucified him. They would have been killed. So he allows this glimpse of his glory because he has been hiding his godhood. And part of the reason why he hides his godhood is not just so that he doesn't destroy the sinners around him, but if he let all of his godhood shine through, the Sanhedrin would have never plotted his murder. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross 
so that he, true God and true man, the great intercessor, could die in our place, could suffer the punishment our sins deserve. As true God, he could endure that and give it to us so that we are saved. So, this comforts and encourages us with Jesus' deity. He's not just a man, he is man and God. He is the great intercessor we need, and he credits us with his holiness. As true God, his life and death will be precious enough that our sins are covered. As true man, he can be our substitute. So in today's text, we see Jesus' glory comforts and encourages us with his godhood, true man and true God. We're told in verse 3, and pay attention, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and were conversing together with Jesus. Why Moses? Why Elijah? It's very easy for me to get why Moses. Remember Moses, he was only man, but he was the one that the people said, you go talk to God for us. Moses, uh, through the inspirational Holy Spirit, writes the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses points to the coming of Christ. God gives the law through Moses. God fulfills the law for us through Jesus. So Moses represents the, the word in its prophecy. He comes and stands before Jesus to comfort and encourage Elijah. The people of the northern kingdom of Israel had utterly forsaken God and were worshiping Baal, the false god of rain. Elijah came and he caused a reformation. God worked through him to show the people that Baal worship was doing them no good, that only God could save them. And Elijah was spared death. One of two people in history that God allowed to go to heaven without dying. Of course, the last generation when Christ returns will be given that privilege as well. So Elijah comes and he also comforts. This is another witness, one who set the standard with the law and pointed to the coming of Christ and recorded those prophecies that happened even before his life, like uh, God's prophecy to Adam and Eve that the uh, seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. The other, the reformer, both pointing to the resurrection, the life, and the salvation of Christ. These two men were witnesses of the coming Christ, one 1,500 years earlier and one in the time in between. But they weren't the only witnesses there that day, were they? We're told, then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter was a man of action, and he tended to jump to the wrong action, but he was right. It was good for them to be there. Peter, James, and John, three disciples, three apostles, Jesus planned for them to be there. So there's a total of five witnesses of this event, Moses, Elijah, which were meant for the good of not just Jesus, but for Peter, James, and John. What am I getting at? God has left us plenty of witnesses. Jesus died and rose again nearly 2,000 years ago. They didn't have video cameras back then. He left us with plenty of witnesses. Now think why that's a comfort. Look at the world religions. It, there's Buddhism. If Buddha was wrong, all of Buddhism falls. One man. There's Islam. If Muhammad is a shyster who made all that up, all of Islam falls. There are cults that steal from the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses. 
If Charles Taze Russell was wrong in his interpretation, then the whole Watchtower Society falls and it all turns out to be a scam, which is exactly what happens every time they falsely predict the end of the world and it doesn't happen. Look at Mormonism. Joseph Smith. All of it depends on the testimony of one man. If Joseph Smith is a shyster, then it all falls apart. And the fact that he was sued after the Book of Mormon was released for stealing a story from somebody, the fact that his stones that he used to interpret him showed up in a court case earlier for witchcraft trying to help somebody, I can't remember if it was gold or water, I think it was water, find water, shows these people it all crumbles as they're shysters. The Bible. God didn't just use Moses, he didn't just use Elijah, he used many people as witnesses that would record the Old Testament. And in the Gospel, the New Testament, he didn't leave us with just one witness, John the Baptist. He didn't leave us with just two or twelve witnesses. In fact, they were told in, in the book of Acts there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of our Savior that were believers. He has littered the earth with the testimony. Yes, I use the word litter. That's a negative word, and I don't mean it that way. Everywhere in the Middle East, they dig up. They find scrolls of the Bible, scrolls of the New Testament and Old Testament. God has not made his religion depend on the testimony of one man. He has left us plenty of witnesses, and they all, even when being persecuted, when, when being tortured, would refuse to recant. They knew what they saw. So Jesus' glory comforts and encourages us with the fact that he's true God and true man and with many witnesses. This does not stand or fall on one person's testimony because God has given us plenty of testimony. While Peter was still talking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, namely my beloved one. I'm well pleased with him. And if we translate the Greek tense into clunky English, start and do not stop listening to him. Jesus is the spokesman for the Trinity. Whenever God speaks in the Bible, that is Christ. Because as John says in his gospel, Jesus is the word. So when God said, let there be light, that was Jesus before he took on human flesh saying, let there be light. There are three times in the Bible that God the Father speaks. And this is one of them. At Jesus' baptism, he said nearly the same thing. And when Jesus prays, Father, let you know, be glorified, and, and God speaks then too. Three times in human history that God the Father speaks. And he speaks those words, making it clear to us that Jesus has the Father's approval. He says those words, start and do not stop listening to him. If you're going to be saved, you have to listen to Jesus and the testimony he left behind. He is true God, he's the intercessor, and this is a comfort for us. Because he has the Father's approval. Not some cult figure that comes along and claims to be somebody. No. And the biggest thing is, you and I have this sinful nature that every day says, you're not good enough. Loves to say, go ahead and do that sin, nobody will notice. And then once we do it, says, how could you? You'll never be forgiven. These are wonderful words of comfort for you and I that God left three witnesses to testify to. God the Father spoke and said Jesus has his approval. So when our sinful nature whispers its lies, we say, no, 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 no. God didn't approve of me earning my salvation. God didn't give his approval to me contributing to his salvation. It's all Christ. 
And that is a comfort for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made this plan for salvation. This trip we're going to take on in Lent that actually began in Advent when we look to the coming birth of our Savior, that God would take on our human flesh. God would live in our place. God would suffer the punishment our sins deserve. God would die. God would rise. And God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, this was all part of the plan with the Son. It has their approval. This is the one that saves us. Not you, not me, not somebody else. And that is tremendous comfort because that means our salvation is in the loving, capable, all-powerful hands of not just the Father, but our triune God. So Jesus' glory comforts and encourages us as we make our way to the cross with Jesus because of his deity, with many witnesses, and with the Father's approval. Last thing in our text, kind of subtle and we can miss it. And while they were descending from the mountain, Jesus commanded them by saying, do not tell anyone what you saw until the time when the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Jesus often didn't refer to himself as the Messiah or the Christ because he at this time was focusing on the fact that he's our servant. He's God who became human flesh, so he calls himself the Son of Man. But if I were to, if I were to be making a Hollywood movie depicting this event as they were coming out, I would have Jesus say, do not tell anyone about this until the time when the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Hint, hint. The disciples flee when Jesus is arrested. One, Jesus' best friend John, will stand with a bunch of women at the cross. The rest are too afraid to even come near it. But it's not like Jesus hadn't told them time and time again he was going to die and rise for them. It should have comforted them. Their sinful nature stood in the way. And this is comfort for you and I. At this time, Jesus begins his journey as he comes down the mountain, slowly making his way, preaching along the way, empowering the people with his word and proclamation that he's going to die for our sins and he's going to rise. Jesus is the first fruits. His resurrection means... God the Father approved of, the, of Jesus' payment for our sins. His resurrection means you and I will rise again. When he returns to judge, he will give us glorified bodies. And there's something else that happens in today's text besides the resurrection being pointed out so clearly. We can miss it. I told you that Moses existed about 1,500 years before Christ's birth, and Elijah was about the middle point in between. Peter, James, and John would have never seen a picture of Moses or Elijah. How did they know this was Moses and Elijah? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can logically deduce God made them able to recognize them. And this is a comfort for you and I. They had both been in heaven for quite some time. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I will recognize and know our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they lived in the Old Testament era or the New Testament era when we were in heaven and when we're given those glorified bodies. Yes, your brothers and sisters in Christ will recognize you and you will them. Jesus' glory comforts and encourages us with his resurrection because it means your resurrection. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, on Transfiguration Sunday, as the disciples saw that Father come and the glory of Jesus and they were afraid, we recognize that our sinful nature should be afraid. But the new man that God has given us, this verse gives us wonderful comfort as we make our journey to Jerusalem on Good Friday when Christ dies for our sins and we look forward to Easter when he rises. 
Jesus' glory comforts and encourages us with his deity, with many witnesses, with the Father's approval, and with the resurrection. Amen. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.